Let's turn to God's Word in Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah chapter 6. This evening we're reading verses 9 through 13. Isaiah 6 verses 9 through 13. Before we read God's Word, let's pray and ask for the Lord's help. Our Father, thank You once again for Your mercy and Your grace to us. Here in this passage, we especially exalt in Your mercy, for we are unworthy of what You have done for the many of us who have believed in Christ for salvation. We pray for those who are not in the faith, who are not united to Christ, who are not Christians, believers, who are not justified and adopted. Father, grant that You would bring more people into Your fold, into the family of God. That this would be the day of salvation for many here and throughout the world. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Isaiah chapter 6, verse 9. These are God's words. And He said, Go and tell this people, Hear ye indeed, but understand not. And see ye indeed, but perceive not. Make the heart of this people fat, and make their ears heavy, And shut their eyes, lest they see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and convert, and be healed. And said, I, Lord, how long? And he answered, Until the cities be wasted without inhabitant, and the houses without man, and the land be utterly desolate, and the Lord have removed men far away, and there be a great forsaking in the midst of the land. But yet in it shall be a tenth, and it shall return, and shall be eaten as a tail tree, and as an oak whose substance is in them when they cast their leaves. So the holy seed shall be the substance thereof. Those are God's words. Last Lord's Day, we examined the vision of the prophet Isaiah that he received from the Lord when he was called to be a prophet, a vision when we we learned of Christ sitting on the throne because we looked at John's Gospel where Jesus, we're going to read it this evening, Jesus is speaking to the Jews and He says, He quotes uh, verses 9 and 10 in our passage, and He says, that was me. Right? That was me that Isaiah saw there on the throne. And it's a very similar situation in Jesus' day when He was talking to the Jews and as Jesus is teaching Isaiah here what His ministry would entail. Something very similar. Seeing this vision, we, we heard last Lord's Day how Isaiah responded to the holiness and the majesty and the glory of of Jehovah and Christ. He had this overwhelming sense 
of His sinfulness. And we learn how we come so easily, too easily before the Lord when we come before Him. And yet how gracious and merciful the Lord is in Christ by His sacrifice to forgive and purge away all of our sins, all the sins of those who come to Him by faith. And as Isaiah is here called to be a prophet in verse 8, now Jehovah in Christ comes first and tells Isaiah his calling, what it will be like in order to prepare him for life as a prophet, as a preacher of God. But to this prophet, the Lord does not hide what will come. What Isaiah will experience. He is very clear again to the point and does not hold anything back. He tells him exactly what's going to happen in his ministry. How successful, quote unquote, his ministry will be. And it will be successful. It will accomplish Jesus Christ, Jehovah's plan perfectly. And he teaches us how successful and what successful ministry looks like here. The preaching of God's Word. is not always the most delightful and optimistic, nor is the calling of the prophet and the preacher. But everything we see here is no different today, friends. No different. What is spoken of in this passage is talked about in other passages. We just referenced John's Gospel. In Romans, Romans chapter 9, the Word of God comes. And the Lord through Paul says, Not as though the Word of God hath taken none effect, for they are not all Israel which are of Israel. See all these Jews, they're hearing the Gospel. And yet, it is not as though the Word of God has taken no effect. It's doing exactly what the Lord in Christ designed His Word to do. At that moment, and for the Jews in that day, when Paul writes that, having that great anguish over his countrymen, right? According to the flesh, the Jews. If the gospel has come in the Old Testament scriptures as it has, yet why are there so many hearing it and rejecting it? We ask that today. Why are there so many hearing it? And rejecting it. Hardening their hearts to the Gospel. Hardening their hearts to Jesus Christ. Well, it isn't as though God's Word has failed. It hasn't failed at all. It's doing exactly what God designed His Word to do. And we're going to see that in our passage. And it's not just this passage. It's in the New Testament as well. And we'll look at those. Because not all Israel are of Israel. You see, there is an Israel that is of the Jewish people, physically descended from Abraham. We might say more specifically, physically descended from Jacob, who was named Israel. And there is a spiritual Israel, an elect of God, who have been chosen before the foundation of the world and who believe, will believe, like their spiritual father Abraham. And so in other words, you ask the question, if the gospel is true, why have so few in Israel believed in Jesus? We heard this morning, Jesus is standing right before them. And He's being rejected by those Jews. Jehovah, just the same 
God that Isaiah sees in a vision stands before the Jews in the time of the Gospels and they reject Him. How, how could you? We were like, how could they actually do that when He's standing right there in their presence? There's a very clear answer to that question. And it's in our passage. And you ask the question then, why have so few in Israel believed it? The answer from Romans is that the Lord never promised to save all of the Israelites, according to the flesh, the Jews. From the beginning, there was distinction and discrimination, even in Abraham's household, between who? Ishmael and Isaac. He saved Isaac. He did not save Ishmael. And so you go to Hebrews 11, by faith, Isaac. Don't see by faith Ishmael, do you? Isaac's household between Jacob and Esau. Discrimination, distinction. And the Lord says, Romans 9, For the children being not yet born, neither having done any good or evil, that the purpose of God according to election might stand, not of works, but of him that calleth. It was said unto her, that is, uh, Isaac's wife, the elder shall serve the younger. As it is written, Jacob have I loved. But Esau have I hated. And we know what that means because Jehovah shows us in Genesis that Esau rejected Jehovah and Jacob embraced him by faith. Who do we see in Hebrews 11, the faith chapter? By faith, Jacob. We don't see Esau. Why? Because before either one of them, Jacob or Esau, before they had done, they were born or done good or evil, before they sinned, friends, before they were conceived in sin, in original sin, and the Lord had chosen Jacob, loved Jacob eternally, knew Jacob in the language of Romans 8, knew Jacob and not Esau. There was always a promise to all the children, if they would listen to the call, in coming to the Savior Jesus Christ, turn unto the Lord in faith, that they would receive the promised blessings. But certain ones did not turn in faith. Did not receive the promises. And so that outwardly, the promises were to His people, to all the people of Israel, and to their children, to all who are far off, right? The language of Acts 2. But inwardly, His promises were directly to and for and would be received by the elect seed only. A chosen seed who would be renewed in their hearts to make them alive. We learn, as we're going to learn this evening, but if the Spirit doesn't come, there is no faith. If there's no faith, there's no justification. There's no justification, there's no salvation. Who sends the Spirit? We confess it. It's in the Westminster Confession of Faith. We confess it, don't we? It's the Father and the Son. Who sends the Spirit? The Spirit is not sent to every heart to make it alive. The Spirit is sent by the Father and the Son to make alive every elect heart who has been chosen before the world began. Those outwardly in the covenant who would not believe because the Spirit was not sent into their hearts, they would break covenant as we've studied and be condemned for all eternity. 
And so it is here. For God does not change. We've studied this before, but God does not change. In Isaiah with Judah, in that day, here we see that Jehovah and Christ, Christ distinguishes. He discriminates. And that's important because sometimes we think of God up there generally, right? We think of God, but we don't apply it always to Christ. For some reason, even though He is Jehovah. Christ distinguishes, friends. Christ discriminates between what He will do with some of Judah and what He will do with others of Judah. And so in that way, to focus our attention on Christ, who Jesus says is who this vision is about, and who is speaking here in verse 9. The first point this evening, Christ hardens hearts. Christ hardens hearts. Sometimes in the church, we don't often hear Christ does that. We hear God does that. And we kind of separate, perhaps in our heart, Christ couldn't be Christ that does that. No, Christ hardens hearts. And we see that here in verse 9. It says, And He said, that is, Christ does, And He said, Go to Isaiah, Go and tell this people, Hear ye indeed, but understand not, and see ye indeed, but perceive not. Make the heart of this people fat, and make their ears heavy, and shut their eyes, lest they see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and convert and be healed. Christ, friends, works through the preaching of His Word. And that's why we have Paul so ardently defending preaching, even as the foolishness, uh, even as foolishness to the world. And yet it is through the preaching of the word that Jesus Christ speaks to all who, all hearers, right? He speaks to all people who have ears and audibly can hear the words coming from the preacher's mouth. And the calling of a prophet, the calling of a preacher, as we learn here, is not easy. Isaiah is calling to a particular is a calling to a particular difficult, a particularly difficult ministry. There are ministers today who are called and are granted easier callings, we might say, in the, the way the world would speak, an easier calling. And some are called by the Lord to a ministry, a service that is, that is very difficult. And I have seen both. Uh, if I just not consider myself, but consider all the other ministers I know, I have seen both. And it's not always based upon the man, the servant, the preacher, but based upon God's providence and decree. Isaiah's was to be a difficult ministry, and the Lord in Christ prepares him for that. Not a lot of, perhaps, encouragements throughout But Jehovah's encouragement to him in Christ and to all ministers is sufficient. For his grace is sufficient. In preaching, friends, there's a twofold effect. We often think preaching has one effect. It does not. It has two, a twofold effect. We're taught this in 2 Corinthians 2. Paul says, now thanks be unto God, which always causeth us to triumph in Christ and maketh manifest the savor of His knowledge by us in every place. For we are unto God a sweet savor of Christ, in them that are saved, and in them that perish. To the one we are the savor of death unto death, and to the other the savor of life unto life. 
And who is sufficient for these things? For we are not as many which corrupt the Word of God, but as of sincerity, but as of God. In the sight of God speak we in Christ. What does Paul mean? Paul means that, and gives us this word picture because of the words he uses, Christ leads us in this triumphant procession of the Gospel conquering. And there are those who have been defeated, enemies who are captured. And as this triumphant procession and triumph of the Gospel continues, there is this sweet aroma that works its way up to Jehovah to His praise, which is the preaching of the Gospel. And Jehovah approves of the preaching of the Gospel when it is preached faithfully and truly. It is something that God takes pleasure in, joy in, we can say. And this preaching which is pleasing to the Lord produces joy in the citizens of His kingdom. It's a savor. In other words, a savor of life unto life. To them, it is a message of hope in the life to come, everlasting, to be enjoyed in perfection in the world to come. But to those captives awaiting execution, it is a savor of death unto death. And an incense that communicates to them that judgment and death is coming. And so the preaching of the Gospel in this word picture is the means of salvation and life to some. But it is also a means of hardening the heart in preparation for eternal judgment to others. And so when the Gospel is preached, some are bettered by it, encouraged by it, believe it, Move to turn to Christ in faith and repentance and righteousness and holiness, which all works towards a life everlasting in union with Jesus Christ forever and ever. And others, in hearing the gospel preached, are hardened and made worse, more sinful, more guilty, and become so against Christ and against His ministers that greater judgments come upon them. And if you've been in the church long enough, you have seen and experienced men and women and children at the true and faithful preaching of the Word. Not only seen, have you seen growth in those who are truly God's people of the elect, but you've also seen people who have rebelled and called out ministers and yelled at them and become very angry at them because they're angry at Christ because Christ's Word came to their heart and they hated it and they hardened their hearts to it. And so you've seen some who have rebelled. And those people who have rebelled, they are to turn even this day uh, to Christ, but they've turned from Christ and His bride and they attack the ministers for preaching faithfully God's Word and they have been hardened in their hearts. In Christ here, verses 9 and 10 of our passage, He communicates that for Isaiah and his ministry, his ministry would be primarily one of that second aspect of the preaching ministry that happens. That of a hardening and rendering more guilty those who heard Him. It's not a very encouraging thing to hear. That you're going to preach the Gospel. This is your calling. You said... Right? He said, here am I, send me. And Christ comes back and says, 
Then go and tell this people, and the people's hearts will be hardened unto judgment. Right? You go back. He's ready. Verse 8. He's ready to go. Here I am. Send me. Well, okay, Isaiah, go and tell this people. And now here's my grace to you, Isaiah, Christ says. Here's my grace to you. I'm going to tell you what I'm going to do. What your ministry is going to be like. It won't be easy. Christ sovereign over the ministry of all of His servants. But that requires what? If He knows what is going to come for Isaiah's ministry, that people are going to harden their hearts at His ministry, when He preaches the truth of God's Word, what does that require? It requires Christ sovereign over all the hearers of all their hearts, right? He has to be sovereign over those hearts that are going to hear Isaiah. For Him to know that. For Him to decree that. He reigns, He rules over every heart. Softening some at His Word, hardening others at His Word. Isaiah hadn't started his ministry yet. He didn't know what was going to happen. He says, here I am, send me. True servants of Christ, ministers, are ready to preach God's Word truly and faithfully no matter what comes. It might be a church. You come, A minister comes into a church and it dies. Because the people hear the Word and they harden their hearts at the Word. And they leave Christ and His bride. That might be it. But the ministers of God are faithful and true no matter what. And Lord and Christ says, go and tell this people. Then He is told the effect of His preaching would mainly be the hardening of the covenant people of God in Judah. So would the people here? Yes, they would physically mechanically, bodily, audibly hear the words that came out of Isaiah's mouth. As we hear with our ears in this very moment. But Christ says they would not understand. They would see you, they'd see the preacher, see the mouth moving, they'd see the ministers of God, even those used to work wondrous miracles as sent by God, like Christ the Messiah in the Gospels that, that we're seeing right there in Matthew, and they will perceive not. They'll see the wonders, the miracles, and perceive not who it is who does such marvelous things, even though they see Him with their very eyes. Their hearts would be made insensitive. Their ears would become dull of hearing and not want to hear anymore and shut themselves off. They can hear the noise, the audible noise, but they can't comprehend it or they suppress it so that they can't hear it. They don't want to hear it. They would see what was happening, shut their eyes to the truth and the meaning and the rationality of all of it. We know the meaning here in our passage. Jesus interprets it for us. Right? In John 12, to the Jews in His day, we made mention before, we looked at it uh, a little bit a couple weeks ago when Jesus was saying and showing in Isaiah 6, this is Him. John 12, it says, But though He had done so many miracles before them, what they saw, yet they believed not on Him, that the saying of Isaiah, Isaiah, the prophet might be fulfilled, which he spake, Lord, who hath believed our report? And to whom hath the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore they could not believe. 
Because that Isaiah said again, He hath blinded their eyes and hardened their heart, that they should not see with their eyes, nor understand with their heart, and be converted, and I should heal them. These things said Isaiah, when he saw his glory and spake of him. It says there in John 12, they could not believe. They could not believe. It was impossible for them to believe. Why? Though it was published and reported, Isaiah 53, I believe it's verse 1, it was reported because our passage, Isaiah 6, Christ blinded their eyes. He blinded their eyes. He hardened their hearts so that they could not see. They could not understand. They couldn't be converted and be healed. These things Isaiah said, Isaiah 6, when he saw Christ's glory and spoke of Him. And so Paul applies them too in Acts 28. When the Jewish leaders came to see Him. It says in Acts 28, And when they agreed not among themselves, they departed. After that, Paul had spoken one word. Well spake the Holy Ghost by Isaiah the prophet unto our fathers, saying, Go unto this people and say, Hearing ye shall hear, and shall not understand, and seeing ye shall see and not perceive. For the heart of this people is waxed gross, and their ears are dull of hearing, and their eyes have they closed, lest they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and should be converted, and I should heal them. Be it known therefore unto you, that the salvation of God is sent unto the Gentiles, and that they will hear it. Those Jews he speaks of would not, could not hear it. They could not perceive it. They could not. So that they, what does it say? That they would understand with their heart, that they should not understand with their heart, should and then should be converted. No, they can't be converted. They cannot be healed. Why? Because it's not God's plan. For He's sovereign over these souls of the Jews. They cannot be converted and healed. And so He hardens their hearts. The Jews He speaks of would not and could not hear it because Christ hardened their hearts. But the Gentiles will hear, could hear. Why? Because Christ sent forth His Holy Spirit into their hearts so they could hear, and they could believe, and they could turn, and they could be healed. So going back to Isaiah 6, Isaiah had a calling from God. He was faithful to that calling. Even though now the Lord has been has given him an outlook of what his calling would look like, the expectations going in is that Isaiah would be completely faithful, even though Christ is saying, I will harden their hearts. Be faithful, Isaiah, even though I'm going to harden their hearts. They will not believe you. They are not going to turn back to me. Continue no matter what, Isaiah, in your ministry. To be faithful to preach the truth, even though He is warned that they would be all the more hardened in their hearts and have a contempt for the truth. The men of Judah more guilty at the end and at the beginning. No matter what, He was to be faithful to the Lord. 
And so we see there Christ hardens hearts. He hardens hearts. The second point continues that. We focus on a little bit something different. Uh, The second point is that Christ has the right. Christ has the right. This is a hard word. For he asked then how, right? Verse 11, Isaiah asked then, How long, O Lord, must I faithfully preach, even though they will rebel against you and become more and more guilty unto eternal destruction? How long? Verse 11, And I said, I, Lord, how long? And he answered, Until the cities be wasted without inhabitant, and the houses without man, and the land be utterly desolate, and the Lord have removed men far away, and there be a great forsaking in the midst of the land. The answer, Jesus responds with, until the right time, until my judgment comes and is fulfilled. Isaiah asks, how long? Christ responds. How can Christ respond to that question? How long? Will people harden their hearts to the Gospel? How long will people forsake you and not hear and not see and perceive and understand? How long? And Christ responds. You need to ask the question, how can Christ respond? Because He is sovereign, right? He is Jehovah. And so He responds because He's controlling all of it. He's the God of all creation. He's the God of every soul and every image of God. Right? Every heart. The ultimate cause is the sovereignty of Christ and He does not change. The same in Isaiah today is the same today. You might not like it. Isaiah might not like it. But it's the Lord's will. And He is God. And we are not. Deuteronomy 29, it says, And Moses called unto all Israel and said unto them, Ye have seen all that the Lord did before your eyes in the land of Egypt unto Pharaoh, and unto all his servants, and unto all his land. The great temptations which thine eyes have seen, the signs and those great miracles, Yet the Lord hath not given you a heart to perceive, and eyes to see, and ears to hear unto this day. Why did they not see? Why could they not hear? Well, of course we'd say because they're sinners. How could they? But He tells us more specifically, more eternally, It says, the Lord did not cause them to see. He did not give you a heart and eyes and ears to perceive and see and hear. Listen again. Yet the Lord hath not given you a heart to perceive and eyes to see and ears to hear unto this day. He could cause them to see. He could cause them to hear. He has the power to do so. He did not give you ears to hear and eyes to see. 
So did he cause them to see? He says, no, I did not. Because he's absolutely, incredibly, and infinitely, and eternally sovereign in giving his grace, saving grace to men and women and children so that they will see and they would know and understand and believe and be converted and love the truth and love him. Well, if these can't, if these can't, what about those who do? What about those who do see and do know and do understand and do believe and love the truth? How are they able to do that? In the very next chapter in Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy 30, it says, And the Lord thy God will circumcise thine heart. Right, he'll, regeneration right there. He'll send His Spirit to change the heart. And the Lord thy God will circumcise thine heart and the heart of thy seed. To love the Lord thy God with all thine heart and with all thy soul, that thou mayest live. The Lord alone who sends His Spirit or does not send His Spirit. The Lord alone gives eyes and ears that lead to saving faith and gives not ears and eyes to lead to saving faith. He does it. He does it as He pleases in His absolute sovereign prerogative. It's His right because He's God. Jehovah in Christ is not impotent when the Gospel is preached. He's not incapable or unable to change the heart of any sinner. He can cause any sinner that He desires to believe on Christ for salvation. Then you ask, well, why aren't all made willing then? Why aren't all believing then? Because God reserves to Himself the right of sovereign election. And God works as He pleases, changing the hearts of some sinners to hear the Gospel and hardening others' hearts to the Gospel. And so only with some is He pleased to make alive their hearts so that they are made willing by His grace, to believe and embrace Jesus Christ in the Gospel. Romans 9 again, For He saith to Moses, I'll have mercy on whom I will have mercy. Who's speaking there? Jehovah and Christ. For He saith to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. And I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. So then it is not of him that willeth, nor of him that runneth, but of God that showeth. Mercy. For the Scripture saith unto Pharaoh, even for this same purpose have I raised thee up, that I might show my power in thee, and that my name might be declared throughout all the earth. Therefore hath he mercy on whom he will have mercy, and whom he will, he hardeneth. Who hardens? Christ hardens the heart. And Christ shows mercy to whom He will. So Jehovah in Christ has the right that He exercises to make alive the hearts of sinners according to His own sovereign good pleasure and without reference to all, uh, at all to the worthiness or unworthiness of one sinner even compared to another sinner. Christ has the right. You get it? Romans 11. What then? Israel hath not obtained that which he seeketh for. But the election hath obtained it, and the rest were blinded. 
the election hath obtained it. Those chosen by God obtained it. The rest were blinded, hardened. By who? Christ. Does this mean that anyone who wants Christ can't have Christ? No, never. But God in His sovereign making alive the heart of a sinner is the only cause whereby a sinner desires Christ. And the fact is, apart from the working of Christ, none of us desire and want Christ. That's Romans 3 and and Psalm... I forget what Psalm it is now, but whatever Romans Romans 3 is quoting. Apart from Christ, without Christ, ye can do nothing, John 15. You can't do anything until He moves in your heart to do it. None of us want to listen to God's Word. None of us want to see Jesus. And I'm sure if we're an unbeliever, we surely don't want to see Jesus. And this holy, 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 majestic and glorious vision of Christ. None of us want that. If we are outside of Christ. Jehovah has made alive some hearts. Praise God. And the rest, many of Judah in in Isaiah's day, many of the Jews in Jesus' day, He hardens. Leaving them to their own wicked hearts and desires. And that leads to their ruin, as we see in our passage. Think of 1 Peter 2. And a stone of stumbling, and a rock of offense, even to them which stumble at the word, being disobedient. Whereunto also they were appointed. I'll go back and read it again. And a stone of stumbling, a rock of offense, even to them which stumble at the word, being disobedient. How were they, why did they stumble at the word? And why were they disobedient? Whereunto also they were appointed. They were appointed unto that. But, he says, But, he says, ye, you all, are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of Him who calleth you out of darkness into His marvelous light. He's appointed those whom He has hardened in their hearts to disobedience and stumbling at the Word of God, but... He's also appointed those whose hearts are softened and who are part of that covenant of grace there in the Mosaic Covenant, Exodus 19. And so that you are in Christ, a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people who have been called out of darkness by a, and into His marvelous light. There are some who are eternally appointed to disobedience, to stumble at His Word, and before Christ to... Which, which leads to an endless and eternal ruin. And there are some who are chosen, elected to be His people. And He sends forth His Spirit to make their hearts alive, change their will so that they are willing to love Him and believe on Him. And then you ask the question, well, how do I know if I am of the elect and chosen, those who have have their hearts softened and can hear and have eyes to see and perceive and are converted and believe and are healed. How do I know if I'm one of those people? In Second Peter 1, he says, Wherefore the rather, brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure. 
Well, how do I do that? And that's a, a sermon for another time. But not to leave you with nothing, you make a continued and concerted effort to examine your heart as we're learning, as we prepare our hearts when we partake of the Lord's Supper, as we ought to prepare our hearts when we come to worship. You examine your heart, your life, and ask the question, am I continually seeking Christ in everything? In everything, for your salvation, for your life, for my work, and His help, and everything. Because the hardened heart never seeks Christ. The hardened heart never seeks Christ, but rebels. Do you see a continued desire to be righteous? Because the Lord loves righteousness, and you know my righteousness is only righteous because of Christ. Do I see a righteousness? And only for Christ's righteousness working in me. Because those who are hardened do not love righteousness, don't have fruit, don't produce good works, and love evil. And we could go on and on. Do you believe? Do you believe the Gospel? That Christ died for your sins and you hate your sins and you repent of your sins even today, now, and trust Christ for atoning for them and clothing you with His perfect righteousness. Because those who are hardened don't. They don't. They don't believe. They don't trust in His righteousness. They don't trust in His atoning work for them. But they rebel. Now turning back to Isaiah. His ministry, again, would largely result by, would largely result by Christ's sovereign hand. According to His right, according to Christ's right, in Hardening, the hardening of hearts of Judah, and from that ruin and judgment and destruction. How long? Verse 11. Christ answers graciously, saying, Until the wickedness of the people brings down the righteous judgment of God in the form of an exile, which we know would be Babylon and Babylon, and the land is forsaken of its people. He says, until the cities be wasted without inhabitant, and the houses without man, the land be utterly desolate, and the Lord have removed men far away, and there be a great forsaking in the midst of the land. But Jehovah and Christ had ordained from before creation this hardening of the people, and this would go on until the captivity of Judah under the hands of the Babylonians and for 70 years. After those 70 years, there would be a return accompanied by a pouring out of the Holy Spirit. That's Ezekiel 36. It says, Then will I sprinkle clean water upon you, and you shall be clean from all your filthiness and from all your idols will I cleanse you. A new heart also will I give you. Who gives it? Christ gives it. And a new spirit will I put within you. And I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh, and I will give you a heart of flesh. And I'll put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes. And ye shall keep my judgments and do them. What do those who have the spirit, who are called, who are of the elect do? They, they walk in my statutes and keep his commandments and do his judgments, right? And it goes on, and ye shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers. So they're going to return to the land. And ye shall be my people and I will be your God. 
Then shall ye remember your own evil ways and your doings that were not good, and shall loathe yourselves in your own sight for your iniquities and for your abominations. Not for your sakes do I this, saith the Lord God, be it known unto you. Be ashamed and confounded for your own ways, O house of Israel. So how long? That's the question. Isaiah asked, verse 11, How long through the exile and the judgments I send, Christ says, until He pours out His Holy Spirit and change a following generation's hearts in abundance. And the result would be that they would know that those former sins they loved and turned, uh, they, would, they would know those things, they would see those things, and they would turn back to the Lord and trust Him and follow Him. And so not the generation that entered into the exile, they died in the exile. Some of their children who entered the exile with them, we learn in Ezra, came out and they knew of the old temple. And so we know that some of the children of that generation that went into the exile came out of that exile. But the many grandchildren would have their hearts changed. And be blessed as they turn back to Christ. And so Jehovah hardens Judah. He makes alive the hearts of the children and the children's children, which should give us hope, by pouring out of His Spirit. Did they deserve to have their hearts made alive? Absolutely not, we heard. Look at yourselves. Loathe yourselves when you come out and as the Spirit is poured into your hearts. Be ashamed and confounded for your own ways, even the ways of your fathers and grandfathers. He says that to those who He pours out His Spirit unto to change their hearts and grants them faith to believe and turn back to Him. It's by His own sovereign mercy that He made their hearts alive. Who makes their hearts alive? He does. Returning them to the land of promise. But while Judah hardened their hearts before and leading up to the exile, Isaiah was called to preach and to preach and to preach and to preach. And to be faithful in that preaching, the hearts would be hardened. Verse 13. But yet in it shall be a tenth, and it shall return, and shall be eaten as a tail tree and as an oak whose substance is in them. When they cast their leaves, so the holy seed shall be the substance thereof. Isaiah was preaching. The majority of the people, as he's preaching, would be rejecting Christ, would be rejecting the Messiah, would be rejecting Jehovah. But not all is his promise. Not all will. There was to be a holy seed. There would be a tenth, a remnant, a remaining people that would return and they would repent. And yet... Even that would be windled down, whittled down. They would be eaten down almost to nothing. Their leaves fall off these great trees. It says, he gives this picture of the trees as a tail tree and as an oak whose substance is in them. Great, mighty trees, and yet the leaves fallen. They've cast, when they cast their leaves. We learn as well, the trees are cut down. As we've heard before, down to the stump. Just a stump left. The remnant would be just a stump of the tree, but in the stump, within that stump 
a holy seed shall be the substance thereof. In the stump was the substance, the life of the tree still in the stump. A holy seed, the remnant there in the stump, the elect of Judah and the regenerate believing people who would be raised up from the stump. Which one day that stump would become so low and small and yet it would flourish again. And the church of God would revive strong again in Christ who would come. For there a holy seed shall be the substance thereof. And that's a great promise to always be reminded of as it appears to us. The times seem like they're getting more and more evil, in our nation at least, where we are. Friends, even if the ministers of God, uh, the preachers will preach and it will for the vast majority of people. And probably, we could say, for the vast majority of people in the churches today, when preachers preach faithfully, compared in, in the midst of all... And using the number of all the churches, the majority bring about of the, that preaching brings about a great hardening. The preachers still must preach faithfully. But there will always, this is the great promise, there will always, from Adam to Christ's second coming, there will always, always, always be a preserved seed to serve Christ in every generation. The church on earth, the true people of God, of the elect of God and the church in the world, and that bride, that church will always be preserved. Until when? Until the truth of God and His Word, the Gospel flourishes again. Oh, and it will be, and we will know, we will know the promises. All nations will turn to Christ, and so that the whole world all over will bow before the King of kings and the Lord of lords. So that, and so what are we to do? What if there are no or little or few cons, uh, encouragements in the church and the world? He says to all of us, not just to the ministers and preachers, He says to all of us, be faithful. Be faithful. Elders, be faithful. Ministers, be faithful. Husbands and wives and children, be faithful to Christ. Why should we be faithful to Christ? Because He is a God full of all rights. He is all he has the rights of all sovereign power. He is God, and he can harden and judge and destroy, and he can show mercy and deliver and shower with his wondrous grace, but it's based in him. It's for him. It's based in his sovereign decree, not in you, for him to show you mercy, for him to give grace. It is in him alone, his sovereign prerogative. And so believe in this God. Why should we believe in this God? Acknowledge the right that He has to harden and to soften. But do not respond to Him grudgingly, but with rather gratefulness from our hearts. Right? We heard in Colossians 4, our prayers should be filled with thanksgiving, not holding a grudge against Him. Do not respond to His sovereign prerogative with, well, I guess. I give up. Yep, sure. That's who God is. But rather, we ought to respond to His sovereign prerogative, His right as God, to harden and to soften with praise to the Lord. For now I am confident in His promises. 
I know He is sovereignly and almighty in His power to bring about exactly what He promised to do in eternity past and ages ago in the history of the Scriptures. And I'm comforted in His plan and His sovereign dominion to save His people. How ought we to praise the Lord for all that He reveals Himself of, of, of Himself in Scripture? And it's so much that is revealed. We would be spend eternity, I believe, we could spend eternity searching just the Scriptures and never come to the depths of it. And yet we're going to be revealed way and infinitely more. Praise God for that. And often, as we see revealed about our God some of those harder things to grasp and, and hear, like He... Like Christ hardens hearts. It's often our emotions that get in the way and move us to be hardened ourselves. But harden not your hearts, Christ says. Trust in My ways. Trust in My Word, which I say. Praise Him for every word He reveals. For how gracious He is even to reveal not only that which sounds good to us, but those things which are hard to hear. And respond by serving Him faithfully all your days. Let's pray. Our Father, we're thankful once again for Your Word. We're thankful that Christ hardens hearts. Though we plead for all the enemies of Christ, that You would turn each one to You in faith by Your Spirit. And so we plead that Your will would be done with each one that hears the Gospel. But we would plead selfishly perhaps, belonging for all, that You would save them. And Father, we ask as well that You would give us eyes to see, ears to hear, that we would perceive and understand and believe and be converted and healed. And furthermore, Father, as we are thankful for Your hardening and Your softening, for it brings about Your perfect justice and Your goodness and Your love, showing forth how You're a living God who loves life. Father, we plead that You would sanctify our emotions, our wills, our minds, and our hearts that we would grasp Your truth of who You are and not seek to be God ourselves nor to argue with You or hold a grudge against You lest we be consumed with the holy fire. But Father, help us to come unto You and respond, Woe is me, I am undone. And help us to respond by Your Spirit saying, Here am I, send me. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.